25 years ago, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996 launched a gradual process of changing the legal landscape for health information privacy. HIPAA regulations aim to balance the protection of privacy with the promotion of information access and technology to improve healthcare quality and efficiency. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Anita Allen, the Henry R. Silverman Professor of Law and Professor of Philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania. Professor Allen has written a perspective article about the 25th anniversary of HIPAA. Professor Allen, could you start by explaining the context in which HIPAA was passed? What were the needs that it was designed to address? Thank you. The context for HIPAA was a very different context than the one we have today. It was primarily passed in order to help make it possible for people to have their health information flow with them when they went from one insurance company to another, sometimes because of one employer to another. But it was to make health information flow more smoothly, primarily in the context of insurance. It was not originally conceived of as a gigantic health privacy law or health security law, but it certainly became that. In fact, many people assume that the P in HIPAA stands for privacy, whereas the P in HIPAA stands for portability. It was also a context in which we had a gradually growing number of federal privacy statutes, but we didn't have a health privacy statute. And that seemed odd to some people. For example, why should education records be protected and driver's license records and even video rental records be protected by federal law, but not the all-important healthcare information? That was the context. And what were the most important provisions related to health information in the law and in the privacy rule and security rule that came later? So the most important aspects of HIPAA in the beginning were the requirement that within a certain period of time, either Congress or the Department of Health and Human Services enact privacy rules and security rules to safeguard medical information, which was becoming, as you know, increasingly computerized, increasingly digital. So the most important rules were those which simply limited access, gave patients the right to decide whether or not to share, to give consent to sharing, to get notice about sharing, and then to consent to sharing of which they approve, and to require that healthcare entities, covered entities, not disclose healthcare information other than as permitted by the new rules. So that, that sense of cabining and siloing healthcare information were the important regulatory aspects of HIPAA in the beginning. You say in your perspective article that the capacity for adaptive modification is among the greatest strengths of HIPAA. Can you explain what you mean by that? In what ways has the rule been modified over the years? Yeah, I think it's a very important point about HIPAA, and I say this as a privacy law scholar, that HIPAA can and has been amended. We have now 10 or 11 major privacy law regimes in the United States, and it is very difficult to amend them. For example, the wiretapping laws, the Electronic Privacy Communications Act, which was passed in 1986, has not been significantly amended since 1986, other than a couple of times to make some adjustment to respond to the threat of terrorism. But we've essentially got the same electronic privacy laws now that we had before we had people using social media every day and before we had voice over internet protocol and so on. So some of our privacy statutes look pretty much the same way they looked on the day they were passed. But HIPAA has been changed frequently. First of all, you have the statute itself 
And then in the early 2000s, you have the privacy rule and the security rule being enacted a couple of years apart through HHS's activity. And then you had after that, Clinton era changes, Bush era changes, Obama era changes, which tended to expand and clarify the, the statute, making it clearer where information could flow and where it couldn't flow made it easier to deal with some of the issues around sharing information among covered entities and with their business associates. So the, the number of times it's been changed is remarkable. So I think that maybe the, one of the most important changes was, of course, GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, which made it unlawful for employers to make use of genetic information and made it unlawful for insurance companies to use genetic information as a basis for deciding who was eligible for health insurance policies. How common are HIPAA violations and how severely are they punished? Do they generally arise from lack of information, lack of training, or are they often intentional? Well, I hope they're not intentional. The Department of Health and Human Services keeps very good records of the number of HIPAA complaints that they receive and what they do to resolve those complaints. A certain number are, of course, discovered to be lacking in validity, so they just set aside. But a lot of them actually are dealt with constructively, and over 250,000 complaints have been received by the department, and many of those have resulted in some sort of remedial action. Now, the remedial action that flows from HIPAA is typically not a lot of money. It's often things like instructions to improve training or to engage in other sorts of non-pecuniary remedial measures. As you know, HIPAA does not provide for a private cause of action. So patients cannot ever sue directly under HIPAA. They have to allow the government to address the problem on their behalf. So it's always about remedial activity and sometimes fines. But the dollar amount of total fines collected by the agency, Office of Civil Rights for HIPAA violations, is, I'd say, the low millions, not in the billions or trillions, as I think some might assume, given the vastness of the healthcare industry. In a related perspective article, Mandel and Paraxlis write that the privacy rule doesn't apply to data that are considered de-identified, and patients therefore aren't protected from the potentially harmful use of de-identified data. Do you see a need for legal and regulatory protections in this area? I do see a need for addressing the problem of de-identified data. Going back to your previous question just a tiny bit, I would note that a lot of HIPAA violations are inadvertent. They are data breaches, so it's outside hackers that have been able to breach. Accidentally, information has been left exposed on a server or on a computer and others get access to it. Accidentally, information has been left on a desk in a, you know, in a medical center. And to some extent, as a result of these kinds of problems, some healthcare entities overcomply with HIPAA. That is to say, they really put a lot of pressure on their employees to make sure they don't do anything which could conceivably be considered a HIPAA violation. So on the one hand, you have some hospitals and health centers being meticulous about small amounts of personalized data somehow being seen by the wrong person in the, in the context of clinical care. But the much bigger problem for actual consumers may well be this problem of de-identified data, because HIPAA does not prohibit the sharing of de-identified health information. So medical records have been stripped of key identifiers like names and addresses and so forth, social security numbers. That kind of information that's been de-identified can be shared quite freely. And some commentators are extremely concerned about the tremendous outflow of de-identified information 
which is being commercially exploited, and patients don't realize this, commercially exploited by companies in ways which have very little benefit for patients directly. It's helping with marketing or research or analysis, which doesn't really typically help the patient directly. So this commercialization of de-identified healthcare information is a problem, both because consumers don't know about it and haven't given their consent to it, at least not their informed consent, but it's also a problem because of the risk of re-identification of de-identified information. There are computer scientists around the country who studied this issue about re-identification, and it is apparently easier than you might think to re-identify information. But beyond the re-identification point, some patients just simply would be unhappy to know that bits of data about them are being aggregated, analyzed, in some cases by algorithms, and the uses of that information are completely unknown to and outside the control of consumers. So I do think that a more vigorous, a more rigorous HIPAA would take on the problem of de-identification. Now, some people believe that the thing to do is just for industry to adopt self-regulatory best practices around just be more reluctant to share uh, wholesale de-identified information or to even to de-identify more rigorously. But another possibility is that we could have major legislation that penalizes, maybe even criminalizes, re-identification as a way to deal with the problem of the risk of re-identification from de-identified information. So self-regulation, new laws, stronger laws would be useful. We don't have, waiting in the wings right now, any legislation that would directly address this problem. And we do have, waiting in the wings, some revisions to HIPAA that were proposed in December. And we're still waiting to see whether or not public comment will result in additional changes to HIPAA. But the changes that are contemplated, I would say from the consumer's point of view, are fairly minor. They would give people faster access to getting their health records, 15 days, not 30 days, make it a little bit easier for families to get involved in healthcare with proper information. But the great thrust and the direction of the new regulations is to make it easier for healthcare entities to collect, use, and share information, sometimes for public health purposes, but for other purposes as well. So unfortunately, although HIPAA has this wonderful flexibility and capacity for change, it isn't the case that all of the changes, or even most of the changes, are in the direction of improving patient well-being in response to what patients actually want and believe they need. So finally, in addition to the issue of protecting de-identified data, what do you see as the most important holes in HIPAA that need attention? What areas do you think should be addressed going forward? I love the question. I love the idea of holes in HIPAA. So I think we need to go back and ask the question, what is the health privacy that patients and consumers actually care about and want and think is important? And ask ourselves the extent to which HIPAA protects that. So if you think about some of the recent scandals involving the mistreatment of female patients by gynecologists or by sports doctors, and we have famous cases, Nasser case from Michigan State and, and the Nikita Levy case from Johns Hopkins, of doctors who physically are using video and camera and surveillance technologies violated their patients' privacy. HIPAA has nothing to say about the physical privacy that we crave as patients when we go to see the doctor. We want to believe that we will not be inappropriately touched. Our bodily integrity will be intact. We want to make sure that, our, that there's no cameras taking pictures of our private parts in insensitive ways that are then shared with third parties for essentially pornographic reasons. HIPAA doesn't have anything to say about sharing of that physical 
privacy. And I think that that's an issue which maybe we could address in the future, either through HIPAA or some other way. We do have state tort law that do have something to say about the physical privacy in the context of, of healthcare. But I think that some patients are surprised to learn that informational privacy is the really the only kind of privacy that HIPAA protects. So that's one whole, the lack of physical privacy protections in HIPAA. Another problem is the one we've already talked about, which is that a lot of health data is placed at risk, both by de-identification, but also by hacking and by other sort of unlawful access to health data. And the hacking can be very intentional by people who just want to hack, but can also be a data breach which occurs due to the negligence or the lack of appropriate security safeguards. The Federal Trade Commission does have an interest in unfair trade practices and might well consider even more than data breaches as being potential issues that it could address in the absence of some larger federal regulatory scheme. But it is a hole in HIPAA. HIPAA does not have more to say about de-identification, about intentional data breaches or accidental data breaches, and about physical privacy. Of course, the security rules do impose upon healthcare entities and their covered entities and their associates a lot of restrictions and a lot of technology that's aimed at keeping data private. But my point is that we know it doesn't work perfectly, and it could probably work better. Thank you, Professor Allen.